One of my favourite Christmas movies is an American movie called Home Alone. Home Alone is about a kid named Kevin, who's accidentally left home alone by his family during the Christmas break while his family travel overseas on holiday. Whilst Kevin is home alone, his house is targeted by two thieves, who try and rob his house but is outsmarted by Kevin, and eventually results in them getting arrested by the police. One of the scenes in Home Alone that makes me laugh every time is when the two thieves drive up to the house, thinking that the whole family has gone on holiday. But Kevin tricks the thieves into thinking that there are people at home by turning on all the lights in the house, playing loud music, and placing cardboard human cutouts by the window to make it seem like there's a party going on in the house. The thieves see all of this from a distance, get paranoid, and drive away. Listeners might be wondering, why am I talking to you about Home Alone in a history podcast? Well, you're about to find out. G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who are new, welcome. The Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast that focuses on Chinese and East Asian history. If this type of content is up your alley, please subscribe to my podcast to keep up to date with my latest episodes and to tune in to my existing ones. I also have an Instagram too, at Bamboo History Podcast, which features visual content for my episodes, teasers, and extra historical content that aren't podcast episodes. Please follow my Instagram too, thanks. To all my existing listeners, thanks again for your continued support. Today, I'm going to tell you a famous story from the famous Chinese novel, San Guo Yan Yi, or known in English as Romance of the Three Kingdoms. To those listeners who have no clue what the San Guo Yan Yi Romance of the Three Kingdoms novel is about. It's set in the period of the late Han Dynasty and the Three Kingdoms period in China in the 3rd century, and it's a fictional retelling of the historical figures and events that happened during that period of time. I talked briefly about it in episode 20 of my podcast, so check that out if you want. Today's story will feature two main characters. The first character is called Zhuge Liang, spelt Z-H-U-G-E-L-I-A-N-G. Zhuge Liang was a military commander and official of the Shu Kingdom, Shu spelt S-H-U, which is one of the three kingdoms. The second character's name is Sima Yi, spelt S-I-M-A-Y-I. Sima Yi was a military commander and official as well, but of the Wei Kingdom, Wei spelt W-E-I, another one of the three kingdoms. Both Zhuge Liang and Sima Yi were highly intelligent men and very capable military commanders and strategists. However, at the time, the Wei Kingdom was the largest and the most powerful of the three kingdoms. Zhuge Liang wanted to expand the kingdom of Shu further, so in the year 228, he led an army to attack the kingdom of Wei. Listeners, please note that before I begin this story, I'm actually retelling the story from a fictional novel, The San Guo Yan Yi, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and not what actually happened in history. Zhuge Liang was initially successful in his campaign and captured some cities in the northwestern part of the Wei Kingdom. In response, the Emperor of Wei, 
ordered Sima Yi to lead 200,000 men to attack Zhuge Liang and reinforce the Wei cities under siege from Zhuge Liang's army. Sima Yi knew of Zhuge Liang's reputation as a brilliant military minded strategist, and in the original text, Sima Yi notes that Zhuge Liang was always cautious with his moves and never acted rashly in his decision making. Sima Yi hence decided that the only way to make Zhuge Liang's army retreat was to capture a place called Jie Ting, spelt J I E T I N G because that was along the path where Zhuge Liang and the Shu army had been using to collect food supplies to feed the Shu army. Zhuge Liang knew that Jie Ting was important too, and assigned a young prodigy named Ma Su, spelt M-A-S-U, who was well versed in military texts such as Sun Zi's The Art of War, to defend Jie Ting from Sima Yi's army. For Ma Su, this was the first time he was tasked with such an important task, and it was a show of faith from his teacher, Zhuge Liang, that he was ready for big things. Zhuge Liang told Ma Su that all he needed to do was to defend Jie Ting long enough so that they could buy time for the main Shu armies to capture the remaining cities in the northwestern region under the Wei's control. When Ma Su arrived at Jie Ting, which was a valley with a river flowing through with mountains on both sides. He ordered his army up the mountains and set up camp there, with the intention of going on the offensive and attacking Sima Yi's army using the high ground as an advantage, something that he learnt studying the Art of War text. By doing so, he disobeyed a direct order by Zhuge Liang by going on the offensive, rather than defending the place as he was told to do. When Sima Yi and his army arrived at Jie Ting, he was overjoyed when he found that the Shu army was camped high on the mountains. He then ordered his men to cut off the water supply down by the river at the bottom of the mountain and then encircled and trapped Ma Su's army up on the hill. The Shu army, lacking water and resources that were cut off to them, lost energy and morale, and then the Wei army seized that opportunity and charged up the mountain and heavily defeated Ma Su's army, capturing Jie Ting. Zhuge Liang, meanwhile, was at the city of Xicheng, spelt X-I-C-H-E-N-G, with around 5,000 men collecting supplies for his main armies. However, when he heard news that Jie Ting had been lost to Sima Yi, he was like, Oh, because the loss of Jie Ting exposed Zhuge Liang at the city of Xicheng with basically no one to defend the city. Sima Yi took 150,000 men with him and came bearing down onto Xicheng. Zhuge Liang had sent 2,500 men away to transport the supplies they had collected, so in actual fact all he had was a meager 2,500 men to defend the city. Zhuge Liang and his Shu army were effectively outnumbered by Sima Yi and his Wei army by 60 to 1. When Sima Yi reached Xicheng, his army tightly encircled the city so that the Shu army had no chance to escape. Everyone in the city was scared shitless by the news and the sight of the massive enemy army that had arrived at their doorstep. I bet you, 
The sentry guards at the city walls had probably pissed themselves in fear at the sight of all those enemy soldiers. Personally, I feel a sense of helplessness. Like I honestly can't see any way out of this situation. You're surrounded, outnumbered 60 to 1, and there's no one nearby to help you out. In the midst of this panic, chaos, and this grim situation, Zhuge Liang was oddly very calm. Whilst everyone was shitting bricks, he pondered briefly for a moment, and then his eyes lit up, as if something had occurred in his mind, and he faced his men and said, Everyone, I have a plan. Very long pause, very long pause. Sima Yi was on his horse, facing the Xicheng city gates with his massive army, with a smile on his face. He knew he had not just won the battle against the Shu army, but he was also going to one-up his rival, Zhuge Liang. He knew that there was no way Zhuge Liang could get out of this situation. The defenders were outnumbered, surrounded, and no reinforcements were in sight. Sima Yi rallied his men and was about to order them to attack the city, when all of a sudden, he saw something strange happen inside the city. The Shu army's flags, which had been raised along the city walls to indicate that the city was controlled by the Shu kingdom, began disappearing one by one, as if the flags were just being purposely lowered down. Oh, what on earth is happening? Sima Yi was a little confused at what was happening. Then, something else happened. The city gates started to open slowly, and a group of civilians came out of the city armed with brooms and began sweeping the ground, clearing debris. Sima Yi and his men saw through the open gates that there were also some civilians sweeping the streets whilst others were just wandering about casually. It was like the people of Xicheng did not even know that they were under attack. Sima Yi's son, Sima Zhao, spelt S-I-M-A-Z-H-A-O, who was right next to him, said to his father, Father, it looks like there's no one inside the city. I reckon we should attack now. But Sima Yi was cautious and hesitated to attack. He knew Zhuge Liang always acted cautiously, but what he was seeing right now, with the open gates and the sight of civilians walking around, was plain reckless for a city facing attack from a 150,000 strong army. Crazy, right? Sima Yi felt as if Zhuge Liang was being reckless on purpose, and he began to suspect that this was a ruse set up by Zhuge Liang and that attacking the city would be a trap. Perhaps Zhuge Liang was trying to set up Sima Yi into a trap, and maybe Zhuge Liang did have an ace up his sleeve that no one knew about. But Sima Yi was also intelligent too, and I believe he thought about the possibility that Zhuge Liang may have been bluffing. So Sima Yi gathered his thoughts and rationally analysed the situation. He knew that he had surrounded the city with his army, and he knew that the other Shu armies were far away from Xicheng and would not be able to reinforce the city in time to save Zhuge Liang and his men. But just as Sima Yi was able to get the full picture of the situation and make a decision, something else happened. 
Sima Yi's eyes widened as Zhuge Liang himself emerged from the shadows of the city walls and appeared on a platform on top of the city wall which directly faced Sima Yi and his army. This was definitely Zhuge Liang, thought Sima Yi, with his famous cone-shaped hat and his indistinguishable peacock feather fan that he always had with him. Zhuge Liang appeared very relaxed even when he laid eyes onto Sima Yi and his army. Remember, this was the first time Zhuge Liang and Sima Yi look at each other, two rivals face to face for the first time. It was probably love at first sight. Ah, oh, Zhuge Liang, my love, I finally see you. Me too, Sima Yi. You're my love. Don't leave me, Bibi. I don't want to wait for our loves to be over. <laughs> <coughs> Sima Yi and his army looked on in curiosity as Zhuge Liang calmly sat down on the platform and waited as two orderlies brought him a qin to play. Qin is spelt Q-I-N and it is an ancient Chinese string instrument that is flat and rectangular in shape and has rows of strings that you pluck and strum to play. Everyone watched as Zhuge Liang, staring at his enemy, or his love, in front of him, began playing the chin in a relaxed and chilled out manner. Yep, I don't know how, how it went, but you know. The music was soft and steady, and as Sima Yi heard the music, he didn't feel the slightest slither of fear, nervousness or panic in the music. All Sima Yi could feel was calm, mellow, and almost confidence in the way that the music was being played by Zhuge Liang on the chin. The more calm Zhuge Liang seemed, the more anxious Sima Yi became. Sima Yi was certain that Zhuge Liang had prepared a trap for him in the city and that if his army entered, they would be ambushed. So, against the pleas of his son to attack the city, Sima Yi ordered his army to make a full retreat back to Jieting. When Zhuge Liang saw that Sima Yi and his army had retreated, Zhuge Liang stopped playing the chin and collapsed in relief. He let out a huge sigh and was like, Oh my goodness me, that that, that was so close. (laughs) Zhuge Liang was right to be relieved because he had just bluffed his way out of an attack by a 150,000 strong army. You see, listeners, Sima Yi was totally correct at the beginning and should have trusted the facts he had. Zhuge Liang had no army, no reinforcements, and the defenders in the city of Xicheng were pretty much sitting ducks. It's like playing poker. If you have a really bad hand, how do you win? By using psychology and confidence to trick the opponent into thinking that you have a good hand. And that's what Zhuge Liang did. His strategy was to bluff Sima Yi into thinking he had a large army waiting in ambush inside the city and used reverse psychology tactics, such as, you know, opening up the city gates and playing the chin. By doing so, Sima Yi's paranoia got the better of him and he ordered his army to retreat. This is the famous empty fort strategy, or known in Chinese as the Kong Cheng Ji, which literally means the empty city strategy, evident from Zhuge Liang scaring off a massive army with basically no one to defend the city. As soon as Sima Yi retreated, Zhuge Liang was like, hurry, hurry, let's go, let's go. Come on guys, come on. Quiet now, quiet now, let's go. Yalla habibis. 
and got everyone to escape the city as fast as possible, and then they slipped away. Sima Yi wasn't an idiot, and as him and his army were heading back, his brain snapped, and he was like, Oh, fudge, I think he was bluffing, oh no. But by the time they rushed back, it was too late. Zhuge Liang and his men had already escaped. Sima Yi then cried out in disappointment and disgust and was like, No! Zhuge Liang won, Sima Yi zero. The Kong Chengji story is one of the more famous snippets from the Sanguo Yanyi, Romance of the Three Kingdoms novel. Whilst Zhuge Liang's campaign to invade the Wei Kingdom and the loss of Jieting by Ma Su are historical facts, the Kong Chengji story itself is fictional. The biggest historical discrepancy is the fact that Sima Yi, one of the main characters of this story, was not even physically present in this military campaign. The Book of Jin, Jin spelt J-I-N, records that during the year 228, when the Kong Chengji empty fort strategy story occurred, Sima Yi wasn't even at Xicheng, but in the city of Wancheng, hundreds of kilometers southeast. I believe that Luo Guanzhong, the author of the Sanguo Yanyi, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, most likely included Sima Yi into this military campaign because he wanted to pit the two greatest military minds of China at that time, Zhuge Liang and Sima Yi, and having a story with two champions facing off one another would have been more appealing to readers. Luo Guanzhong's application of the empty fort strategy, Kung Chengji, was actually based off an earlier text called 36 Stratagems, or known in Chinese as San Shi Liu Ji. The 36 Stratagems was an ancient Chinese text that originated during the Northern and Southern Dynasties period in China, almost a thousand years before Luo Guanzhong wrote the Sanguo Yanyi, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. The 36 Stratagems compiles a list of, surprise surprise, 36 strategies that could be applied to warfare, but it is also relevant in modern times as good strategies for doing business, politics, or social interaction in general. The Kong Chengji is set out as one of the 36 strategies, and the original Kong Chengji strategy is this. And I'll read the original text first in Chinese. Shu Zhe Shu Zhi Yi Zhong Sheng Yi Gang Rou Zhi Ji Qi Er Fu Qi. What this text means in English is that when the enemy army is a lot stronger, you trick the enemy into thinking that you have a much larger hidden army, and then make them paranoid into thinking that they are walking into an ambush. But it also warns to only use this strategy if you're in deep trouble as its chances of success are very slim. I personally agree that you should only apply this strategy if you're really desperate, because if the enemy does find out you're bluffing, or cause your bluff, then you're in deep, deep trouble. I do think that after reading this story, the important reason why Zhuge Liang succeeded was that, one, he was full of confidence, acting in a way that made the opponent feel like he actually did have something up his sleeve, and two, he understood Sima Yi's character, and knew that Sima Yi knew that he was cautious, and used that against him. Had his opponent been Sima Yi's son, 
Sima Zhao, for example, Zhuge Liang's plan would have failed because Sima Zhao was more headstrong and would have caught his bluff, which was evident because he was trying to convince his father to attack the city. I also wanted to add that Ma Su's loss at Jieting highlights that simply being well-versed in military texts and theory isn't enough to be successful. He failed to apply his knowledge practically by not properly analysing the terrain he was defending, camped away from the water source, and also disobeyed a direct order from his commander. Practical application in many aspects of life is more important than theoretical knowledge. In summary, Zhuge Liang had gambled big and won, but in my opinion, if he had been more careful and assigned a more experienced general to defend Jie Ting, he could have avoided this sticky situation altogether. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of the story of the Kung Cheng Ji Empty Fort Strategy. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and learnt something new. The Kung Cheng Ji is cool because it's been referenced in other East Asian stories and has also been practically used in warfare. A famous example being the Battle of Mikata Gahara during the Sengoku period in Japan during the 1500s. If you want, I could make an episode of that as well. Be sure to apply the Kung Cheng Ji empty fort strategy in your daily life whenever it becomes necessary. But more importantly, please subscribe to my podcast for more exciting historical content. I also have an Instagram too, at Bamboo History Podcast, that contains visual content for my podcast episodes and extra historical content. So please check out and follow my Instagram too. Thanks. Alright now, time to go. Next time you have a bad hand in poker, home alone with burglars looking to break into your house, or even asked a question about Chinese history that you have no clue about but have to answer it, just remember the Kung Cheng Ji Empty Fort Strategy. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's episode. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.